Welcome to LifeWords Q&A. It is our weekly discussion with uh, the Reverend David Ray. Uh, Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> uh, okay, Reverend David Ray. Uh, over the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to be talking about uh, and answering your questions that you've uh, submitted to David via email over the last week or uh, month or so. And uh, some great questions up today. We're looking at the Lord's Supper and Communion. And if you're feeling not so Christian this week, should you take it? We're looking at, you know, talking about Jesus and how often should you do it or how often, yeah, that kind of thing. And But first, David, the Bible says children are to obey their parents. Surely there's a time when we don't have to do so. Well, that's quite right. Uh, there is a time when children aren't to obey their parents because the Bible assumes that children grow up. In fact, when they marry... They have a new primary relationship with their spouse, so obedience to parents certainly not required. The Bible says, you know, a man shall leave his parents and cleave to his wife, so on, and that seems to imply that there's a new set of primary relationships. So obedience to parents, uh, certainly, you know, a married couple are not no longer, as it were, obey their respective parents. That would lead to all sorts of problems. Now, we might argue that the Bible teaches obedience as long as children are under the control and care of the parent. That's the way I would uh, tend to see it. And and remember, um, the, the, the Bible uh, in biblical times, there was no such thing as adolescence, really. Uh, we've got this sort of in-between time when children were, yes, children, certainly under the control and oversight of their parents, and then, yes, married when they're, in one sense, independent of their parents. But but there's also this, this sort of rather strange in-between time we have now of how obedience is to be worked out. But in the Bible terms, it probably uh, that didn't exist. So in, in biblical times, uh, it probably meant that, okay, par- parents were to expect obedience of their children while they were under the same roof, but they married and tended to marry earlier than what we might expect, and then they left the home, as it were, or left that network of relationships and um, had the freedom when they got married. But it's not so simple now because we've got this sort of adolescence, young adult phase that perhaps they didn't think of in those days. And um, some many children we do know, um, unmarried children still live with their parents. They can't afford to live anywhere else. And um, so we'd have to say, well, well, do they are they to obey their parents? And I, I, I don't think there's an easy, simple answer to that. I think it's it's a graduated thing. I think at certain ages and stages, children have to obey their parents. It's it's absolutely perfect and proper to do that. But gradually, as they grow up. I think there is granting them more and more freedom to make their own decisions and so on. Uh, but I would I would think as long as they're under the same roof, as it were, I think there's a certain set of obligations and responsibilities, whether or not it, it is it is it is automatic obedience as another thing. I, I, I think a better way to look at that is to look at the commandment which speaks of honouring our parents. Now, now a young child will honour their parents best by obedience alongside other things but when we grow up I might honour my parents in a very different way Mm. I I, I can honour them and say mum dad no I don't think that's the best way to go we're going to do this rather than what you would expect or want and as long as that's done respectfully and sensitively and lovingly I think that's fine so I think children are always to honour their parents but the shape of that honouring, the expression of that honouring, will be different at different life stages. So, yes, children obey their parents by implication as long as they are children in relationship with the parents. But there comes a time when, when yes, surely they don't do so. I mean, from a practical point of view, 
a 28-year-old living under the house of their parents, I guess they're just logically there are some, you know, they own the house. Yes. <laughs> there are certain rules, Absolutely. that kind of thing. So I guess if in terms of obeying, I guess it's not black and white necessarily. No. But And I think that's where the, the, the issue is, and I think that's the spirit of the question here, that, that in this in-between time, as the children go into high school, adolescence and young adulthood and, 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 and ad- full adulthood, uh, and they're still, as it were, living under the roof of their parents' home, yes, the parents do have uh, certain, uh, a, a certain appropriate authority over them and so on, how they treat their home and all this sort of thing. But, um, yeah, it, 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 it's a grey area, and I think it's a challenge for parents to say, on the one hand, yes, as a young child, uh, we, we, we do require obedience of you because we do know best. But then gradually, as the child grows, the parent, the wise parent's got to pull back a bit from that and say, look, we still would like you to do this, but respect the fact that you may choose not to, and so mm. on and so on. can get very difficult, but I'd say, in short, obedience is required at a certain stage but not at all stages but honoring is always required you're listening to life words q a with david ray if you've got a question please email david the email address is lifewords at hopemedia.com.au our second question today is when the lord's supper or communion is held in our church i don't feel as though i can participate because i'm such a poor excuse for a christian what should i do well, Andrew, I think for that person, uh, to be very blunt, uh, have a very radical rethink of who you are. Look, communion is for all those who trust in the mercy of Jesus for a right relationship with God. Different traditions do do it differently, but for all of them, it's a visual reminder of what it cost Jesus to get us right with him. And so I don't think, or put it another way, anyone who comes to communion, however you do it, however you arrange it in your church, you'll come humbly. Um in the Anglican tradition that I'm part of, we've got this wonderful prayer called uh, called the Prayer of Humble Access. And without going into it in detail, it says, we do not presume to come to this your table, Miss of the Lord, trusting in our own goodness, but in your own righteousness. And we're not worthy to gather up the crumbs under your table, etc., etc. And so we are saying, we are not in and of ourselves worthy of relationship with you, but at the same time, our liturgy, I think, quite rightly expresses the fact, but through the grace and the mercy of Jesus, we can come boldly to communion. And so you come humbly, admitting your need of God's grace and mercy, but boldly having received it. And 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 you see, uh, this person seems to be suggesting that communion is only for uh, good Christians. Well, I don't know quite know what that term means. Mm. I think there are two sorts of Christians in this world, um, only two. Those who struggle constantly with sin and admit it, and those who struggle constantly with sin and don't admit it. There's no sort of corner of the world where there's this butte group of elite Christians who don't struggle. So all I'd say to this person is, if if you do truly believe you are embracing the mercy of Jesus, even though you think you're a poor excuse for a Christian, um, if you are embracing Jesus and the mercy of Jesus, you ought to take communion. And if I was your pastor, I was your minister, I'd be very concerned if you weren't. If you were just sitting in the chair or sitting in the pew not partaking of it, I would have said, well, 
Well, why? And if you're thinking, I'm not worthy, well, of course you're not worthy. But Jesus has made you worthy. So so, so, so don't, don't withdraw. Now, now, of course, you you need to rethink why you see yourself as a poor excuse for a Christian. This questioner may have issues. Um, um, you may be struggling with a whole lot of life issues and you may need help with them. But that in and of itself does not disqualify you from receiving communion. Everyone that I give communion to in my church is a struggler. They struggle with sin. They're very imperfect. And many of them would see themselves as poor excuse for a Christian. But you come to communion in whatever shape or form it's expressed in your church, expressing the fact that, oh, yes, you are a poor excuse for a Christian. But praise God that God loves you enough to send Jesus to die for you. And Jesus is there offering his grace to you. So to say, I can't go to communion because I'm a poor excuse for a Christian is just like saying I can't come to Jesus because I'm a poor excuse for a human being. Well, Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. And if you reckon you're lost, he's there for you. Mm. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A, and I hope that was a really helpful answer for uh, for your question. If you would like to listen to more questions, we've got one more coming up, but we have got basically... 100 or so already recorded and you can download them from the iTunes store just search for LifeWords Q&A or download them from the website hope1032.com.au if you subscribe to our email David's daily email it's called the LifeWords uh, Daily Devotional uh, David looks at a Bible verse and uh, reflects on that each day of the week you can subscribe to that at the website as well our final question, David, is I have a friend who says she makes it a goal every day to talk about Jesus to at least one person. I don't seem to have that zeal. What can I do about it? First thing you do about it is to um, just figure out what you mean by zeal and perhaps also a witnessing and evangelism. I think there's a bit of perhaps a, a little bit of a misunderstanding in that question. Uh, you see, many people have zeal and enthusiasm for Jesus, but don't act it out the way your friend is doing. Um, you can have zeal and enthusiasm for Jesus without feeling as though you've got to bring Jesus into every conversation. You see, I think you, the, the, this friend uh, that's mentioned in the question, it's an admirable goal for her, but I think it raises problems. Uh, when, when I hear about people like that who say, I make it a goal every day to talk about Jesus to at least one person, I, I just wonder about that. Um can you actually do that without forcing issues or twisting conversations? If I want to uh, have a relationship with someone or enter into a dialogue with someone, I don't want to have in the back of my mind, how can I bring Jesus into it? How can I bring Jesus into it? I think that tends to twist the conversation. Is it a form of legalism? Is this person saying, right, I've got to make it a goal every day uh, to talk about Jesus? I, that worries me a little bit. Um, you know, you, 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 is this a form of legalism, a rule which binds her? And also, is this friend, I'm assuming it's a she, yes, it is a she, um, is she confusing evangelism with bringing Jesus into conversations. You, you can do evangelism without mentioning the name of Jesus, In funnily enough. Um, can we communicate Jesus to others without actually mentioning his name? And is not evangelism works as well as words? Um, should we not be saying, uh, not be saying oh, I'm going to follow Jesus and do his work and, and carry out the will of Jesus and do good works in his name, um, irrespective of whether I actually mention his name? 
You see, maybe this friend has worked through all that, and maybe she's wrestled with all that and said, yes, 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 it's all true, but I tell you what, I still want to make it my goal uh, to do that. And and all I want to say is, if she's done that, good on her. I, I would not want to be critical of her, because I know some people have got marvellous gifts in personal evangelism and seem to be able to talk about Jesus at the drop of a hat, and good on them. I'm personally not one of those people, but I can express, I, I think zeal can be expressed in that way. But Zeal can be expressed in many ways, and I just want to caution the questioner about this, that that zeal should not be measured by how many times you mention Jesus in a conversation or how many people you talk to. Um, I think it's better to say to God at the beginning of each day, God, lead me into fruitful conversations, relationships and encounters and let him decide how they turn out. For some, it might be just doing a good deed. For others, you might talk about Jesus. Nothing wrong with talking about Jesus to people, but I wouldn't be quite formalising it that same way. Um, See, I think one of the problems behind this question is is a problem that is very common, that we look at other Christians and what they do and how they act and what they believe, and we say, oh, well, therefore I must be like that. No, God may have given this particular girl a real gift to be able to talk about Jesus very naturally. So let's give her the benefit of the doubt and say she does that. As I say, you can artificially manipulate conversations, but you can actually have very natural conversations. If that person's got that gift and that ability and that calling, praise God for it. But beware of of feeling that just because person A does this and does this well, that person B has got to do it um, as well. So, so I would think it's a much better idea to say to God, God, thank you for my friend who's got all this particular zeal, but may my zeal work out in other ways. May I be led into fruitful conversations, encounters, relationships with people. And yes, if I can talk about Jesus, wonderful, but let me at least be an ambassador for him. Now, of course, just in passing, if this particular questioner has no passion at all for Jesus, well, that's another problem. I'm assuming this this questioner does have some passion and some zeal, um, but needs to express that zeal perhaps differently to what their friend does. Thanks, David. You've been listening to LifeWords Q&A. I hope you found that answer um, helpful. Um, you can listen to more Q&As with David Ray at uh, our website, hope1032.com.au and also uh, through the iTunes store. And we did mention a little earlier, just uh, a few moments ago, that David has a daily devotional email. And if you haven't subscribed to that, well worth getting some daily inspiration Monday to Fridays. You can sign sign up for the LifeWords daily devotional email at hope1032.com.au. David, we'll speak to you next week. Thank you.